Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. Last week, Rabbi Schatz and I, when we were like, there's like, what do we talk about on this episode? One idea that we sort of very, very briefly um, toyed with was the idea of like Isurim, of like how you make sense of when bad things happen, when you feel like you're doing things right. Um, and that was last week based on a comment that Rowie made kind of in passing when um, Ruth like put her feet in the water that was cold and Rowie made a comment of like how only, you know, good things come through, uh, are acquired through Isori. Like you have to go through the, you know, Isori through uh, challenges, through uh, struggles in order to uh, to get good things on, on the end, you know, to get a reward as it were. Um and that's similar to what Amir's friend at the mikvah is really talking about, you know, with him really kind of goes into that idea, um, which is sort of a complicated theodicy, um, theodicy being like how God functions in our lives um, and is sort of one rabbinic approach, not the only Talmudic approach, but one Talmudic approach um, is sort of this idea that, oh, if, if bad things are happening to you and you have searched around and you can't figure out anything you did wrong to deserve this, like that's actually a sign that God loves you and is showing God's care about you in making you kind of struggle through this. Now, I would say as relates to Amir, like it's not like Amir is blameless. <laughs> like it's not like he's done everything perfect in his relationship. And um, and also the guy at the mikvah like clearly doesn't know what Amir has done wrong in this relationship. He just sees Amir struggling and is like, don't worry, bro. Like, it's God's love of you. That's like, I say bro, because he's like the kind of guy who would say that, you know? Um, and he's like, don't worry. Like, this is um, God's way of showing he loves you. And that seems to comfort Amir. Um, and in the Talmud, it also sim- similarly kind of seems to be a way that people comfort others of like, oh, it's okay. Like, you're struggling, you're suffering. Um, like that's, it's called Yisurim Shalahava. That's a way that God is showing his like deep care for you. Well, and it just, goes even, in the Talmud, it goes even deeper in terms of talking about in like in this world, if something terrible is happening to you or around you, don't worry about it because in the world to come, you'll be, you'll be even more taken care of and vice versa. If you're having a great time in this world, then in the world to come, you'll have more challenges. And that, especially when you go down the rabbit hole of someone getting cancer and dying early or a terrorist attack and people dying or just any kind of tragedy, right? You all live in New Orleans, right? So if we wanted to just talk, or not all of you, if we wanted to talk about in terms of like natural disasters, right? That could you go with the, with the trope of, oh, well, in the Talmud, it says that if this really bad thing happened to us, we don't have to spend too much time worrying about it because it good things will come to us in the world to come. Um, and, and it's problem as Rai Pernick was mentioning, it's problematic because that it's that's not comforting in any way, shape, or form. You don't go into a shiva home and say, "Don't worry, I'm so sorry that that person died so early. They're gonna have it great in the world to come." You would never, you would never say that. Oh, Rai Pernick does in the in the Talmud. Rabbi Yochanan goes to shiva houses with the bone of his ten sons. He's like, 
See, I had 10 sons who died. See, it's, Right. It's no, but that's bad. what I'm saying. Like, it says that in the Talmud, but we today in the 21st century, I would hope. You, you. Don't. I, fine. You want to, you want to say that you would do this? Okay. I'll take all the blame, but I would not go into a shavuot and comfort someone with this kind of, um, with this kind of lesson. Yeah. Yuri. Um, I kind of agree with that because like, I kind of like of all the whole thing, the guy I felt like most bad for was the guy who was struggling with his sexuality and the, and the dad actually is supportive like he doesn't like directly tell him because he doesn't know yet but he's still at the end when he's talking to his brother he's like oh what are you going to do about it he's like well i'm just going to do what i've always done just keep it inside and so like i I really like kind of felt bad because even like even knowing that like his dad would be supportive he still he was still too afraid to say anything so like I, i do think like what she's saying is right because like how does like how does that how does that comfort you if, like, you're if you're too afraid? Like, if you think that they're going to shun you now, then they're probably going to shun you in the afterlife, too. That's interesting. Like, I mean, I think this idea, right, and I think Roe is an interesting character to think about this particular question about, you know, the Yisurim Shalahava and so forth. Like, right, where Roe, it's interesting to think about the moments when Roe is, like, beginning to think about exploring his, um, sexual orientation and then when he like what are the things that sort of scare him away from it right so for example with this guy in the coffee shop where there clearly seems to be you know an attract certainly the guy's attracted to Roe it seems like it's maybe mutual Roe is sort of kind of pursuing it and then the guy starts benching and like for Roe and like being really into it like he has like really good kavana like when he's when he's benching and for Roe that's like I have to run away from here um, why? Why? You say why? Why is he running away from just because of the benching, or because he can't be gay and Jewish, or what? So I, I, I think there's something about like from gay men that scares Roe, um, who himself is a from gay man, from you know meaning religious, but like there's something. About and I think it's you know there was sort of a similar thing when there was the guy in the dog park a number of episodes back who introduced himself and like that one it wasn't the same kind of thing this one it was like it was like seeing this guy saying Birkat Amazon like and like clearly I mean so does he and so right exactly that that's the issue wait say that again. That's the fear. They're going to get together. They could get together. They could. Well, for sure. But I think, but I think that, you know, what I'm thinking about, there's even a thing in the Talmud about, like, if you, uh, is it in really, uh, maybe, I don't actually know where, maybe, probably Bracha. <laughs> it probably is. Um, that, like, if you, and you, Rabbi Shaz, I think you'll know this and, and where, where it's from, even though I can't think of it at the moment, but like, if you really have, like, an unquenchable sexual urge that you should, like, Go, co- you know what I'm talking about? Usually, like, go cover yourself in sackcloth and go to, like, that, you know, another town and find a prostitute and, like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that idea. But I think, sort of, the whole idea of that is, like, if, if like, there's no other way and you, like, really have, feel like you have no choice but to um, sleep with someone, like, you should go and sort of put on sackcloth and go far away where nobody knows you and it's sort of anonymous and you get it out of your system and then you're come back 
and you're still, it doesn't change your status socially, right? I think one of the things that Roe is struggling with is both, right, obviously is sexual orientation, but also like the idea of being with someone who's like also religious makes it more of like a relationship as opposed to like a fling. Yeah, the more like who he is. And I think it's hard for him to see a mirror of himself in this experience. I think that him, him seeing this other guy and and seeing that he would do things just like Roe would do them. I think he, he sees this new experience of his life of like, I need to find someone who's different. I need to find someone who is going to, both help him through it, but also be different enough that it's separate from his kind of prior identity, even though it's not a prior identity, it's just an identity that now he's finally exploring. So I think the mirrored piece of that is hard for Roe. Right. But it seems like you're saying that as like a positive thing, whereas to me, it seems like it's more of a negative thing. Like when he looks in the mirror, he's like, oh, I can't do this. Whereas like if it was That's a random saying. guy who he never would see again, it might be different. Right. Like there's the there's like the the lack of anonymity, and which you would that, generally think of as a positive. For him, makes it. I also said the guy said you can't run from it for forever. Right. You can't run away from this from it forever. Right. right. Yeah. So he well, knows, and he said it. He's also trying to run away from himself a little bit, and so if someone yeah. is just like you, that's very hard to do. Okay, Renee, and then Denise. So I think that him seeing that guy in the in the coffee shop or wherever it was that, that what made him uncomfortable was it reminded him of the part of him that is from and what the repercussions of what that means, you know, like that, that in, in, in his circle, he's supposed to follow a different path. And, and I think that the religion, the fact that the guy was religious reminded him of that. That he yeah. can't be, he can't follow his inclinations. He can't can't fi- follow his Yetzirah, if you will. But he has to follow the the correct derech, and that and the religiousness of that other guy is what reminded him of that. Exactly. If yeah. it would have been a, a, a non-Jew, it wouldn't have. It wouldn't have. Uh, I don't think it would have had that same effect. I agree, uh, Denise. So I had the sense also that he's almost ready to take that plunge and explore his sexuality but integrating it to the rest of his life is a whole whole other realm and and i think that he's running away from also um and like on gray's anatomy a couple years ago they started a, a relationship between two guys yeah and the one is an asian american guy and one is a jewish guy and the jewish guy is just it's his first relationship and he hasn't come out to his family and, 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 and his partner gets irritated with him. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, I worked these things out 10 years ago, you know, and Asian culture also has like a lot of taboos, but he had worked through it. And, and in the end, the Jewish guy like has all these breakthroughs and whatever, but, but I felt like Roe's struggle kind of reminded me of that character. Schmidt, I think his name was. Yeah, it is Schmidt. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I, I mean, I yes, I think that what you're saying is correct. I think that those are stereotypes that are often played off in TV um, as well. And I think that what what often we see in um, in the ways that these kinds of storylines are are shown to us in the in the world of Hollywood is that there there is often a desire to be with someone who is not going to remind you of either your past or that which you are struggling with. And so I think all these examples that were, that were sharing, including Roey and this guy who he met at the cafe, um, you know, I think does that. And that brings it back to this place of I'm having these struggles. It's hard for me that you've already worked them through. So I need to now find someone else who's different enough from me that those struggles aren't going to be the same. Um, I think that will be a, a a common theme throughout. I mean, I think it's just interesting to note um, also for, you know, what, given when Srugim aired, which was like 10 years ago, where like this wasn't a topic that w- this was definitely a, a more taboo topic in the Orthodox world in Israel or in America um, than today. And so it's sort of interesting to think even 10 years ago, like for someone like a Roe, you know, his approach I think would be very normalized out in the world of like, I'm from, I like don't know what to do with, with this. And like the presence of these sort of like from characters who also seem comfortable in their skin, Mm -hmm. who he runs into, like that just feels like that was a rare, like Roe would, would be more of the re the more common 2010 um, from Jew in Israel. I mean, these guys who are like from, but also like just very seem to be pretty comfortable going out in the coffee shop and, you know, approaching people like um, it's sort of. Yeah, I don't know. They're like in some ways, I feel like less real, realistic characters, given that moment, perhaps um, in Israeli life. And I think, you know, tying it back to our topic of the Surim Shalahava, like, that, you know, I think this is. Similarly, one of those challenges where, you know, you think about what the um, Amir's friend at the mikvah says about, you know, how God is, you know, only gives you the challenges that you can handle and so forth, like, right, which is, I think, similarly a kind of a, one of those, like, not helpful like things that, that people um, struggling with gender identity and sexual orientation and stuff, like, are, you know, are sort of, I think have been told of like, Oh God gives you what you can handle or like, you know, like it's a test or you know, things like that um, in ways that like you see the way that Roe is struggling with this. And even as his father is saying, you know, indirectly, you know, I would love you even if you came out as gay. Um, the saying about Nazi, like he, he knows that like there would be some level of social acceptance and yet he or family acceptance at least, and yet he's still not comfortable going there. I mean, yeah, to Norm's point, I think that's again, I, I, this is really a change in the last, I would say, ten years. I mean, it's not a change; it still exists. But like, I think the the normalization of, you know, gender identity, sexual orientation related acceptance. topics, acceptance to an extent, um, in the Orthodox world as well as something that has changed, I think, even from 10 years ago till today, from the time Sugi married until today. And it's still, you know, it's very much still a, uh, not a simple topic. Um, but it's it's something that has certainly progressed and changed over the last, you know, 
decade, for sure. Yeah, Norm. Um, I think that Ruiz said something in an earlier episode suggesting that he thought his father always favored um, his older brother. Um, and I wonder if his father having said, yes, we would accept um, him being gay, really still doesn't know for sure would they accept him being gay. Um, That's interesting. Families don't necessarily treat their children the same. Right. And so even if Nazi, who, the dad has sort of almost been like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what the story is with Nazi. I don't know his deal, whatever. Like, well, almost like willing to write, you know, I'm willing to assume that he's gay and his life trajectory is going to be different than I would have imagined previously. You're right. That doesn't necessarily mean the same applies to Roe, who he doesn't seem to have the same fears about. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe to, if it was Roe, it would be a totally different response. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. But to, to Renee's point, I think that the father does see something in Roe. I think he does know. I think, but to go back to Rai Pernick's point, I think that he doesn't know how to approach it with the son who's actually going through it. And so sometimes it takes, I I have not lived through this. I do not have siblings who have lived through this. I have very close friends who do have siblings who have lived through this. I know that often the parent will go through kind of the process of processing with a different sibling, which isn't always fair, but with a different sibling, because it's harder to do it with with the kid, with the child, uh, the sibling, whatever, who's going through the actual challenge in their own life. So I think that to to, Renee, to your point, I think that he does know that this is going on with Roe and he's saying all of these things to Nati, not because he's actually worried about Nati, but because he hopes that Nati can help Roe get through it and make Roe understand that this is the way that he would approach it if Roe could be clear with him that these were the things that he was going through. I agree. Um, I agree exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking too. Yeah, yeah. That's what I initially thought. I, I'm like slight less sure now. I, because that's what I think, or because you changed probably. Your yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I'm actually. No, I think after norms, like I'm, I'm actually initially I was like, oh, this is a way of saying to Roe, we'll love you no matter what. But actually, like, maybe maybe that's just not the case. I don't know. We'll have to see as it plays out. Yeah. That shock there. I'm curious to hear if anybody has any thoughts, um, especially in terms of like the Yifat Amir experience and how we left it in terms of their relationship, um, whether it has to do with this idea of like living through challenge because it'll get better afterwards or, or, uh, or anything else. Yeah. Karen. That cake was awesome. <clears throat> I just want to ask a question. I don't want to address yours. Yeah. We don't six times. Yeah. Was that like any important thing or he was just blowing off steam? Yeah. I thought it was three times usually, you know, that for adoption and I mean, you know what I'm saying? For conversion. Yeah. So he was just, yes, he was just um, uh, kind of fervently deciding that if he could do it as many times as possible, then it would it would wipe them of everything that he was dealing with. There was no significance around how many times he dunked. Um, but when you, when we talk about mikvah ritual, um, there's there's different 
now, especially in the world of like liberal mikvah ritual, not just mikvah ritual around conversion or adoption or nida, um, that there are many different types of mikvah um, rituals, mikvah experiences that you can come up with those different kinds of dunking, like how many times you're going to do it, what blessings you're going to say, what, what, um, what note you might be thinking of, those kinds of things. So it's possible that he had a reason for, for dunking that many times. I know that for me, <laughs> this is something very different, but for me, when I go to do a funeral, the number of times that I shovel dirt into the grave, like I have a very specific reason for how many times I do it. So there's no, there's no specific number, but I have a very specific reason. It's possible that he did too, but no halachic reason around the six. And I think it was actually more than six because then he did it again. So what's your reason? Can you say? I'll tell yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, it's, not, it's not, it is not relevant. Like it's not a secret, but it's not relevant. Uh, Renee and then Denise. I was kind of curious that I know that there are couples when they're going through from couples and when they're going through a rough patch or whatever, that they will consult with their Rav. Yeah. And I was kind of curious that uh, it didn't occur to Amir at all to when he was feeling rejected or whatever he was feeling from, from a thought that they didn't, neither one of them said thought it didn't occur to either one of them to go to their Rav. Um, yeah, I'm not sure they know what they would go to their Rav for. I mean, one of the first thing that he said to, uh, um, hello, names, uh, whatever. One of the first things that Amir said to the guy, the guy who keeps showing up at the mikvah, was, I don't really know if I'm even married or not. Right, right. that's like, what I'm saying. That's why I thought maybe if he, obviously he feels some uncertainty in his marriage. And if he feels some uncertainty, that he, I would have thought that he would have gone to a Rob just to help kind of get clarification. Like, how would I know if she's going to leave me? You know, oh, how, how is this, especially since he's already experienced it, you know, to kind of help him figure out, is this round two of the same thing or am I, you know, reading too much into this? Yeah, I guess, I guess being, being the rabbi on that side of the table at times, um, most people come to you like, at least knowing what they would ask. I'm just not sure that he would know what he would even ask. Like, I don't, I don't think that he has an awareness of what's going on. Like he doesn't know, is she actually working? Is she, I, I think that there's too much ambiguity right now. You're right that it's interesting given that this is a show about from Jews that they didn't consult a rabbi in general, but I, I do wonder, and I don't actually remember, I do wonder if in the next season we'll see a rabbi's presence a little bit more than right now when it seems a little bit more, unclear as to what you would what you would be asking or or wanting consultation around uh denise okay so to your question about um god doesn't give you any suffering you can't handle and all that yeah um i think there's some truth in that and i think there's also a danger in that because let's say god sends a person you know a tremendous illness or but it doesn't mean he wants them to sit there and be sick. Maybe the idea is, you know, this is a space for you to grow and, and think about healing or whatever. And I'm in this chat group. I used to be in a ladies' Parsha class. And when COVID started, it became a WhatsApp chat, basically. And the leader is very into like, oh, we have to be positive And okay. Um, 
and she posts these things, you know, all the time about like, don't complain and, and just, just doesn't matter what bad thing happens, just pray and it'll all be good. You know? But there's someone in the group who I know for a fact has an abusive drug addicted husband. And I'm like, every time she posts these things, I'm like, oh my God. And I try to like chime in in a way that says, hey, you know, maybe God wants you to not be abused or whatever. But like, I, I don't feel like it's my place to violate this woman's privacy. And I've, you know, I've tried. My girlfriend to- calls that toxic positivity. Sorry? My girlfriend calls that toxic positivity. That's a great phrase. Because <laughs> it's exactly that. And, and I think it's really dangerous for people, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I know like when I did a summer of hospital chaplaincy, you know, particularly Southern Baptist patients who I had, you know, when I would talk with them and it was like, okay, you're going to have a triple bypass surgery in an hour. Like, how are you feeling? And they'd be like, I'm good. I'm like, yeah. You're like, 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 are you worried? And like, no, you either worry, or you pray, you can't do both, you know? And it's like, okay, you can say that. But, like, you're probably worried, you know? And so, like, often – yeah, Karen, are you going to say something on that? Or uh, When people are going through tough times, they usually defend against feelings. Yeah. And so, like, that was often a lot of the work. Exactly. It was like, okay, you can say that, but it's not true. Like, I wouldn't say that. You don't say that. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. Right. You don't say Correctly. that. You say, oh, good to hear. Yeah. Let me know but, like, then be- sort of yeah. eventually being able to break down that, uh, that like – black and white, you know, because it's like, that's just not it. Like, and I think there's something similar to it, you know, with what Denise is saying of, uh, you know, there are those people who are like, and maybe it's what keeps them going. It's like, you know what? I'm just focused on getting through this and focusing on the positive or whatever, but that's not healthy generally. And like, it's certainly not healthy to try to force that as a norm on everyone. Um, on other people question. around you. Denise, does the person who does the, just smile through all of it. Does she know the other one is that woman is abused? No, she doesn't get it. I mean, people doesn't try get it or doesn't know. She, um, somewhere in between. Um, because I went to meet with her one time, and she like asked a few questions about this person that zeroed in on big issues, which I felt it wasn't my place at all to answer, and I didn't think it was her place to ask me. Um, so given that she had that level of awareness, she might know and she might have picked something up. I, I happen to know these people socially for years and I've seen it sort of devolve and, and the wife has opened up to me. Mm-hmm. I think that, but, I think that in a group setting and then, and then Norm's been waiting for what seems like an hour. So, um, uh, um, I think in a group setting, it's often hard if you, even if you know that someone is suffering, whether it's that kind of suffering or any other kind of suffering to really, uh, to really hit onto that particular person, um, rather than, I mean, I hope that the group leader, if they, if she does know about it, has an, has a relationship with this person, you know, privately or has somehow counseled her privately, if that's an appropriate thing to do. But I think that when you're talking about a group, like I could know that someone on this call right now is going through something really difficult and I wouldn't mention it in front of everybody. And I might seem overly positive to that person because they are feeling negative about something, but it's not because I'm, I'm deaf to what they are going through. It's more so that I just 
don't need their experience to, to be um, amplified for everybody. So I, I think that sometimes, sometimes that kind of deal with the challenge, even if there's other positive things going on around you is, is necessary. And you're right that if there's just this trope of everything's going to be fine, you're going to get through it. That's also not helpful, especially in an abusive case where just being positive doesn't get you through it. Um, so that's, that's all I'll say about that. And Karen will talk to her as much as you want her to. Uh, Norm. Um, in terms of consulting a rabbi, um, I know a lot of them, a lot of you, and there are some for whom I would certainly go when I have a halachic or informational kind of a question to pose. Um, and for the most part, those aren't the same ones who I would go to if I wanted some kind of counseling. Totally. In Israel, and, and, and to, to a large extent, vice versa. In Israel, probably, you know, the only one who seems to have a, much of a personal relationship with a rabbi is the one for whom it's her father who she wouldn't go to. Um, and most of the other rabbis are civil servants. Um, and while I'm sure some people might have a close personal relationship with them, the this our crowd of stars don't seem to have a relationship like that with any of their rabbis. Um, even Amir, when he was going to shul pretty regularly, was taken under the wing of some of the old men who were there, but mm-hmm. not apparently um, the rabbi of the shul. Right. Yeah. I mean, I also think that there are, you are completely correct that our cast of characters doesn't seem to have that relationship. And I would say that I mean, even if I wasn't a rabbi, I don't really have that relationship with rabbis in my life, right? Like that if I need, if I need something, there are people in my life that I go to and some of them happen to be rabbis, but I think that there is a general sense that, that certain people have, not everybody has this. I meet with lots of people who do not feel this way, um, that they don't go to their rabbi for everything, that they have other people that they go to, or they have other ways of finding that information. There are also different rabbis for different things. Like I go to Rabbi Pernick for things that I wouldn't go to someone else. And I don't go to him for other things that I go to other rabbis for. So, and vice versa. So I think that, um, I think that is, that's also an important um, part of this that maybe Amir's rabbi, whoever that is, we haven't really met his rabbi yet, but whoever his rabbi is might not be the kind of person that he would go to in this kind of case also, which is a really interesting piece of that. Um, (laughs) uh, Rabbi Barbara and then Leonard and Rebecca. You just have to unmute. There you go. Um, To go back to what, uh, Rabbi Pernick was saying uh, with regard to, and I find this here in New Orleans a lot because we have a huge Catholic population as well as a bap- huge Baptist population. There's very much um, a dependence upon God will take care of everything. Mm-hmm. And but there's no thought about what happens if God doesn't. And then I see people's faith crushed because, mm-hmm. because the person, their loved one died mm-hmm. or their loved one became sicker. And, 
you know, it's, I think it's hard to deal with that when someone's in the hospital and mm-hmm. it's not to say, you know, that you shouldn't pray, you should pray, but mm-hmm. it just me, me it doesn't mean just because you've prayed, it's going to turn out the way you want it to pray, the way you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Leonard and Rebecca. Um, even though Amir didn't seek out a rabbi, he did sort of seek out a spiritual answer in that he went to the springs. He went to the, the mikvah and he, um, the same place where he had gone and immersed before his wedding. Mm-hmm. So he went back to the same place. Fortunately, the, he met the guy there or maybe it was all in his mind, the conversation. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, a literal conversation, but in any case, he was able to, at the end, you know, immerse and spiritually, you know, he, he seemed to find some, some spiritual solace. Whereas he fought, um, was trying to just immerse herself in work and be busy and, um, you know, had a totally different approach to, trying to feel better about um, her marital problems. And when I think about it, the only example I can think of with the women being spiritual or praying was when Hodeya's niece came to visit and ended up telling Hodeya that she went to the Kotel because she wanted to pray and, you know, she was having a crisis of faith. So that was an example of, you know, a woman can, 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 can seek prayer and spirituality also. Or Hodaya, or Hodaya go into the to the graves, right? Like she wanted to be closer to, which is a thing that anybody can do, but a lot of women will do uh, certain graves for certain types of experiences. But yeah, I think Rebecca and Robbie Barbara, you, you both said um, things that are are really important to keep in mind, which is. Prayer, even in 21st century, uh, is something that people both rely on very heavily and also recognize, like when they've been saying Amisha Barach for a person for a year and that person dies, then they have this question of, well, what was that Misha Barach for, right? So, so, and not everybody does. I'm just saying there are some people who do. But I, but I think that to Rebecca's point, like Ifat did find spirituality. It just wasn't through the main channels that, um, that Amir found it in like those ritualistic moments. I would say that Ifat went back to also her roots, which was baking a cake, right? From scratch, she made sure that she went through all the steps because just like Amir went back to that location because that was where he went for his wedding to kind of create that foundational baseline again. She too went back to what was that foundational baseline that I had that created this relationship. I'll go back to that and see if that brings anything back. So I do, I, I think that both of you said really important things and lovely that you said them one right after the other, because I think they go hand in hand um, that even if that spirituality isn't coming through like the formal channels of Judaism, that it also can show itself in other ways um, that can be very comforting. But as you said, Barbara could also be ways in which we feel let down if something doesn't go the way we want it to. So can you remind me, I, I don't remember her going to a grave. She she didn't actually, did she end up going in the end or did she just talk to the person about going? Do you remember, Roy Pernick? I think she went, but maybe I'm just remembering that wrong. She she was speaking. I think some, she went too. I remember seeing her outside of it. And then she bought that apartment near 
near one of the, I forget which one now, because it was one I hadn't heard of. Um, she didn't even know what it was when she got that. Up. Right, right. It was a very obscure in Rahavia, which I J- live in Jason, Jason's tomb. Yeah, I, I've been there. Oh, great. I had never heard of it, but, but I, but she was talking to someone, I'm sorry that I'm not remembering all the details, but she was talking to someone about um, kind of the spirituality or the, or the prayer practice of finding a specific kever, a specific tomb or grave um, site for specific pieces. So like a lot of women will go to like Rachel's tomb for uh, fertility other women will go to other tombs for other types of things, uh, but to have kind of those places for um, for that direct connection seems to be something that that is very apparent in Jerusalem, but also in kind of that world of from Judaism. Yeah, Barbara. So, mm-hmm. yes, yes Rayut, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I sort of feel like we got confused because in this episode. Uh, Rayut's assistant says to her. Yes, I was an assistant. Thank you. I couldn't remember who it was. was Rayut's assistant that said to her, well, I went and then I met my my partner. Right, right, right. Right. And, yeah, and I don't know. I was going to say something else, but that's, it was was Rayut. Um, But I love that you said that um, Yifat went back to her roots, which is, you know, as we found out during COVID, is baking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, oh, that's it. So it's interesting because she's there. It's someone had said this earlier about in the beginning, Rayu takes, or not Rayu, Yifat takes care of everyone. And now these various people are having things happen in their lives. And so Rayu goes to tell you thought about it. And I even thought that when she was stirring the cake, she might have tears that fell under the cake. Where mm-hmm. that is. Um, and then Nadia is there tasting the frosting. Nadia is, it's like something's happening. Um, and they're going back to the places where they feel comfort. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. And with the people who bring them the most comfort. Right. Right. Yeah. And then just, I mean, to close it out, I know Renee has her hand up. Oh, is that Sue has a hand up also? Okay. I was going to say, and then she told um, the girl that she was going to have to find another place to live. Right. Oh, Hodaya. Yeah. Yeah, she's sort of, right. Yeah, that's sort of So right. I, I think, to... you know, that was so she could be together with her husband. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, and I think we, I mean, in certain ways, we're seeing everyone here, I guess, sort of establish what they need. I mean, obviously, right? And I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we can add um, the clown. What's her name? Daphna. Daphna into the mix. You're right. She's right. Like, as much as this is sort of a sad episode, there is a sense of people clarifying what they need for Ruth, who sort of has been putting so much pressure on herself to get married. It's like, you know what? I'm just like getting a grown up apartment and like, we'll see what happens with marriage, but like, I'm not going to keep sleeping on a broken bed as a way to force myself to get married. Like I'm, I'm going to get a grown up place. He thought like, I need to set boundaries. Um, Daphne's like, I'm going to date someone who I'm interested in dating. 
Um, I think even just thinking about, and this goes to one question in the chat that we didn't address about like Roe and Nazi sitting outside their father's wedding. And like, they're, they'll be there for the celebration, but they're just sort of like, no, I don't feel joyful. I'm like, I'm here. I'm outside. Like I'll go in. And but... Davka for the Sheva Brachot, right? That was what we, the audience heard were the first words that we heard when we came onto that scene were Samech Tesamach and they, they were outside anyway. Right. Right. So, um, I know there's all these hands now and I feel bad. You can take them. I just have to go, but you can, you can take them. I also sort of have to go, but, um, so sorry, Renee and Leonard and Rebecca. Um, but yeah. No worries. No worries. Okay. Um, I think it's just, you know, it's interesting. It's like I said, it's sort of a sad end of the episode, but also there's a sense of people beginning to sort of better understand who they are and what they need and going back to their roots, even if you're going back to the mikvah, like I want to sort of get back to where we were before. Um, and, you know, and I think then we, we get to see in season three in two weeks when we're back together, where it goes from here. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.